I said, O Lord God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. What he's saying is, oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, Lord, who is both great and good. You're not just awesome in power, but hang it over me. You're not just good, not powerful enough to do something with it. You are both. You are great and you are good. He says, oh, Lord, let's, look at verse 6. Underline this if you're okay with writing in your Bible. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. I've been asking God that these last few weeks. God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant that I now pray before you day and night for the people of Israel, your servants. Confessing the sins of the people of Israel, which we have sinned against you. Even I and my father's house have sinned. We've acted very corruptly against you and have not kept the commandments, the statutes, the rules that you've commanded your servant Moses. Remember the word that you commanded your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the peoples. But if you return to me and you keep my commandments and you do them, though your outcasts are in the uttermost parts of heaven, from there I will gather them and bring them to a place that I have chosen to make my name dwell there. They are your servants and your people, whom you have redeemed by your great power and by your strong hand. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight to fear your name, and give success to your servant today, and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Now what you see there, if you want to make some some quick side notes, is in this prayer, it's a prayer of adoration there in verse 5. He just adores God. He adores him. But then it moves from adoration to, in verse 6 or 7, confession. He confesses, like, ultimate big sin, like the sin of the people. Our people have been sinful against you, Lord. But then he moves right into this personal confession where he says, even in my house, we are sinful. We are broken ourselves. And it moves to petition. To ask and to seek and to knock. That's what Jesus tells us to do. But so often we're a people who are away from our knees, praying and asking the Lord to do a work. But on this day, Nehemiah, and in this little season of life that he's been in, it was a time where he was praying, he was fasting, he was desperate for the Lord. I want you to see number three, Nehemiah. He arises in his brokenness. He doesn't leave being broken. He doesn't leave the convictions of his heart. Nehemiah arises in his brokenness with a plan for a God-empowered work of restoration. I want you to know that's what God desires to do in our midst is restore. It's restore. It's a great word. The word reconcile is also a great word. It's to put, uh, put things back in a right relationship. Jesus rose from the grave. He will come back again to put things back in a right relationship. Us to God. Us to ourselves. Who we were made to be. Us to other people and us even to the created world. He wants to restore. He wants to make right what's broken. Make whole what was broken in the fall. Nehemiah doesn't probably get all of that. But he arises 
with a plan to restore. Empowered by God to go and rebuild a wall. Now, let's uh, read that. Look with me in verse 11. I already read it, but I want to read it again. And you'll notice something interesting. We don't know how long this season of prayer has been taking place. We, we don't know if this is a few weeks of fasting, a few days, a few hours. We're not, we're not really sure. We don't know if Nehemiah prayed and he asked God for exactly what to do or if he just had a major conviction to go do what he was going to do and when he's about to ask the Lord's favor on. Look, look with me, uh, verse 11. Oh Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant, to the prayer of your servant, to delight, to fear your name, and give success, give victory to something. Give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. Who is this man? Well, the man is the king. The king, Artaxerxes. Man's been king for 20 years. He is Nehemiah's boss. I guess, in fact, he's everybody's boss in that land. But he says, God, give me success for when I go and talk to him today. And you say, well, what did, he, what did he say to him? Look in verse 5 of chapter 2. He said to the king, if it pleases the king, if your servant has found favor in your sight, then uh, that you would send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild it. On that day, he asked King Artaxerxes, he asked him, for permission to go and build back the city that was destroyed by Babylon. To build back the walls. Now this guy, you know, he is just a, uh, you know, he's a, he's a layman. You know, like he's not like a, a paid church staff. You know, that's not, that's not what he is. This guy has a job. He works for the king. He actually has a really good life. He's separated, it would appear, from a lot of brokenness that he might have seen otherwise. But he hears word of it and he says, I want to get right in the midst of it. And by the power of God, with the blessing of God, help rebuild and restore. Now, we're going to leave the story for right now. We'll pick up with it next week. But what we want to do now is, is leave what we have read and begin asking the Lord to apply it to our hearts. And so if you look at the last part of your outline, and maybe you'll think this is a bit dorky, and I'm okay with that. I don't mind a little bit of dorkiness from time to time. In fact, I live in it most days. But for us as a church body, and we are a church. Isn't that awesome? We are a church. As a church, for us to truly be better together, that's what we've been saying. For us to truly be better together, we must become broken together. For us to really be better together, it can't just be because we talk. It can't just be because we say we're going to be better. Because it looks better in the room. It can't, it can't be that. It's going to be because we get what God sees. We get what he has called us to. And we become broken as he is broken. Our heart begins to connect with his. And our hearts begin to connect with one another. At the same time, for the same purposes. If we're to be better together, number one, we must become broken together. You know, there's a lot <coughs> to be said in this section, a lot to be broken over. I'll just give you a few. 
A there. We need to be broken over our own hearts. We need to be broken over our own hearts. The sin that exists. The suffering that exists even in our midst. The trials and the testing. You know, some of our suffering is due to our own personal sin. Consequences that have come because of things that we have done that was against the Lord. Anytime we have as individuals, as a family, as a church, tried to live outside of God's power and God's plan. Anytime we tried to do things without God, that was sin. And that causes suffering. But there's other suffering such as some of you were sick. Some of you have family members that are sick. There's cancer and there's disease. There's pain. And it's okay for us to take the time to sit down long enough for us to be broken over what's existing within our own lives, in our own hearts. We must be broken over our own hearts. But B, be broken over our community. You know, that's one of the main things that needs to take place. We, we need to be broken together, and then we need to be broken about what exists outside of these walls. Specifically, I believe Alberta City and the campus of the University of Alabama. For us to take the time to recognize what's taking place, to, in terms that we see here with Nehemiah, to hear, and then sit, and weep, and mourn, and fast, and pray. For us to go to the Lord and say, God, let your ear be attentive and your eyes open. We need you to do a work here. You know, our community has many places. It's, it's not that hard, really, to recognize brokenness. I've been on several streets where I don't believe there was a, a marriage that existed in the entire street, in the whole block. I don't believe there was a household with a successful marriage. A distorted view of marriage leads to a distorted view of the gospel. Leads to a distorted view of the church. Marriage is certainly distorted in many of our neighborhoods. Family distorted. Much sexual immorality. Much sin. It's easy to see the brokenness. What about our broken world? You know, I don't know who you are, but somebody in this room, like you've got your schedule, you know, you're like, okay, I'm going to watch this right here, but as soon as I get a chance, it's Hannity, it's O'Reilly Factor, it's this, you know, you've got like your whole like news plan laid out before you, and you're just every night doing what I've been doing recently, and you're just like, ah, Ebola, you know, ISIS, you know, like you're, like you're looking at things, and like it's just burdening your mind, and there, there is certainly brokenness that exists everywhere, I, and we've heard a lot of good stories. Certainly, that's coming out of the Middle East of the church being persecuted, but, but uh, persevering through that and God's glory being found and seen uh, very easily. But, but I believe it is very easy for us all to say, man, there's acts that are taking place that are just straight evil. What, what was that in Ferguson a few months ago? Then we got Ebola. People are scared to death. We've, we've, we've got, we've got uh, ISIS taking place. We've, we've, got, we've got the Ferguson situation a few months ago. And I want you to know, as I've been kind of watching, taking in the news, I, I, I had this realization, and it's this. 
it's not really that the world is more broken today. It's just you and I are more aware of it. Like you just didn't know. Because you didn't feel the pressure of it coming west. But now it is and you feel it. You see it. And you identify. Man, just read the Bible. I mean, read from the fall on and you'll go, yep, it's always been broken since then. Tons of violence, tons of immorality. Man, the world is broken. And we as a church need to be broken over the broken world, over the broken community, over our own broken lives. You know, I think it's time for the church, and this just isn't just Alberta Baptist Church, I believe it's time for the church to start taking ownership of what we see that's fallen. And instead of just talking about how messed up it is, that we begin to, like Nehemiah, get a plan, a spirit-powered plan, to begin to put right what has been wrong. To begin to fix, in the power of God, what was broken. Look with me there at number two, application. We must arise in the midst of brokenness with a plan for a spirit-empowered, Christ-glorifying work of restoration. Now, to kind of move into our conclusion for the day, or our, our time of response, is this. I'm going to ask some questions. This, this, if, you'll, if you'll hang with me, I believe this can radically change the way that you live. Ask the question, how are we? How are we as an individual? How are we as a family? How are we as a church body supposed to have a plan, a spirit-empowered, Christ-glorifying plan to restore anything? What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to come up with that? I mean, are we waiting for it to be given to us on a Sunday morning? Is it something that's supposed to come from our Sunday school teacher? Is this something from my quiet time? How does this happen? How does it take place? We have a lot of people, and listen, this is, this is the natural thing to do. Is when we want to see something restored, we go backwards. We go, let's try to make it like it was in the 50s. Let's try to make it like it was in the 60s. Let's try to get it back to a time when it seemed wholesome. If we want to get things right, if we want to see things restored, let's go back. And I want you to know, I believe that the Bible leads us not to go back, but leads us to look ahead, far, far ahead. And I'll say it this way. I believe the Bible leads us to look 20,000 years ahead. Say what? I want you to know, church, you are not today who you will finally be in Christ. But there's a day when Jesus will return and he will make all things new. There will be no more death, there will be no more sickness, no more tears, there will be no more cancer, rape, hunger, sickness. It will not exist any longer. There's a day when Jesus will come and he will make all things new and forever and ever and ever and ever and ever his people will live with him. Now, if we can get a glimpse of that, it'll change the way we live today. I'm going to ask this question. I want you to write it down. 
what does my future glory self look like in Christ? Husbands, you are to lead your wife to her future glory self. Who she will be in Christ, who he's making her leader to that. Wives, encourage your husbands to who God is making them in Christ. I started thinking about what will I be like when I'm whole? What will not exist in me? And when I begin to feel and see those things, I say, God, make that. I turn to you. I want you. I want to be who you're making me. I want to be like Christ. And it begins to go away. Let's move to our next point. Our community is not yet what our community will finally be. Now this is where I, I can't tell you all of the answers. I, I don't know everything, but what I know is this, is one day Jesus will come back and make the earth new. He'll make his people new. He'll make the earth new. That includes 2210 University Boulevard. That includes Alberta City and Tuscaloosa and the campus. I don't know what that'll look like. I don't know what it exactly will be like. I know this, is that murder, rape, disease, sickness, death, selfish desires, none of those things will exist there. It will be love for God, love for one another. Now listen, if we can walk out the doors... And we can begin to look at the community as God sees who the community is becoming. Then we can start seeing what we need to do to restore. What we see that should not be, we go and we stand in the place. And we begin to, by the power of God, restore what's broken. But don't think I'm saying that it'll stay fixed. I'm telling you, I realize that. One day, listen, any of you, you're sick, you get healed. One day, you're still going to die. I get it. But there's a day when Jesus will raise you from the grave. There's a day when our bodies will be made whole. And you won't die again. You won't get sick. And so what we do is not make excuses for what we don't really feel like taking the time to sacrifice to do. What we need to do is see what does God desire to happen here. How can his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven? And let's begin to do it. Finally, the entire world, the earth, it's not yet what it will finally be in Christ. It's not God's heart. It's not God's heart for there to be terror. It's not God's heart there should be 147 million children without a father and a mother. But it is God's calling on his church to seek justice. And to seek restoration. And for us to begin praying and asking God, how can we be a part of what you are finally doing? And join in with him. I would say to you, church, let us go and seek heaven here on this earth. You have a card in your bulletin. And I'm going to ask if uh, Jennifer and, and if our uh, worship team will come up. You have this, and, and all it says is, I am broken for. And here, here's what I want to ask you to do, is, is write down, what is God convicting you of? What, what is God placing on your heart? You know, and it's okay for it to be something that exists inside your home. In fact, we want that. 
Maybe everybody in the room needs to write what's going on just with you personally and what's going on in your house. I'm broken for this. I want to see God change. I want to see him restore. I want to see him bring to faith, you know, my, my sister, my, my family, my whatever it might be. Or it may be something, uh, I'm broken for my, my, my wife who's sick. I'm broken for, it may be that. Or it may be, I'm broken for the 147 million orphans. Whatever it might be. I want you to consider this time as we sing. Consider what is God breaking your heart for even in this moment. And you'll see we had Rachel Hill did a great job. She, she made us a, a wall over here. And so this is going to stay up for this whole sermon series. And, and this wall is going to really help symbolize the work that God is desiring. What he's calling us to do as a church. And what he's calling you to do as individuals and families. And, and so we're going to take these. And because of the amount of people that are here and because of the amount of space that we have, I'm going to ask you still to do something that's a little unusual for you. I'm going to ask you to write what it is. What, what is God calling you to? What, what is he placing on your heart? And I want to ask you, if you will, to come to this altar, if you can, if you're able, and, and leave this on the altar. Leave it here on the stairs. And what we're going to do is during the week, we're going to put those up on that wall, and we're going to leave that wall up. And it's just going to help remind us this whole month, this is what God's doing. These are some of the convictions that he's raising up in hearts and calling us, some of the things he's calling us to do. And so if, uh, if you do it while we sing, the way I call you to respond today is what are you broken for? What are you broken for? Jesus Christ is worthy of your life. Jesus has called us to a greater purpose than ourselves. I'm going to ask you, if you will, to, to stand. Maybe there's someone here that you don't even know Christ. You, you don't know the Lord. You are broken and without any answer from within your heart. You don't know what to do. I call you to come to Jesus today. Jesus desires to fix your heart, to make you new. To forgive you of your sin. I call you, if you're kind of in a place right now where you're like, oh man, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to, how to align my family. I don't know if we're to join here at this church. I don't know if we're to do, you know, whatever it might be. If God's working on your life and really planning you here, if he's given you uh, a desire for your family to plug in here, to be a part of something here at Alberta Baptist Church, maybe today you want to let that be known. But I know that he across the room by the power of the Spirit, he's breaking your heart. And let's, in his power, begin to work to see these broken lives, broken symbols here that we write down. Let's see him restore by the power of the Spirit. Bring the kingdom of heaven here on earth. Let's pray. Father, I love you. I work today. I pray that you would begin to rebuild hearts even that, that maybe have been uh, torn apart in recent days. Pray that you would begin to restore joy as we turn to you and we look to you. I pray that you would bring revival in our midst. God, we want to be your instruments to make disciples of all nations. We want to see our community celebrate and worship Jesus. God, I pray that you would lead us to that end. We pray in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen.
the city. The scripture tells us the scripture tells us that Christ on the night when he met with his disciples that he said as he took the bread he broke it he said this is my body that's broken for you. He took the cup and he said this is the new covenant the covenant of my blood which was shed for you. As Pastor Colby has been preaching about brokenness there's the promise of healing because of the brokenness of Christ. And we come this morning to celebrate what Christ has done for us, to restore us, not only to restore our lives, but to restore all creation. Romans 8, Paul says that all creation right now moans and bears the pains of childbirth because creation has been affected by the brokenness. So we come to celebrate uh, a victorious Jesus Christ this morning as we come to the Lord's table. So I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward as we prepare to receive the Lord's Supper this morning.